Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you had a merry, merry Christmas and are gearing up for a happy new year. We got one more episode of 2017 and I promise it will be a great one. Bradford Bruns returns for part two of the Bolt Pick'em series. We pick right up with the New Year's Six games that start tonight with Ohio State and USC. We recap what we've done so far. A lot of bad picks in there. Some good ones for me until... Stanford and Washington State both lost last night. Bradford's had a rough time. We get into all the picks from here on out through the final four playoff games, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. You're not going to want to miss that. And then Ryan Souls returns for some Week 16 NFL recap talk and a look ahead to Week 17, which will decide, as it's the last week of the season, who makes the playoffs. Some interesting matchups on tap as we try to find the final 12 teams in the NFL season. Money Mitch Effect, last episode of 2017. Let's start the show. All right, back again on the Money Mitch Effect, part two of the epic, world-renowned, notorious college football bowl pick'em discussion. Bradford Bruns back on the show from St. Louis, Bradford. Oh, what a difference a year makes, but thanks again for coming on the show. Mitch, it's always a pleasure, and yeah, quite the heralded results that we'll be bandying about here for the preliminary portion of the show. Let's just uh, keep it going with that forward momentum, shall we? It's funny. I, I, I'd want to know, now it makes sense why Yahoo took down their bull pick'em. I think there might be a, a correlation there, but we, we have the updated standings points-wise on our five scale of one being not sure and five being a lock. I have a five-point edge on you, 20 to 15. But the overall record says a different tune. I think I'm at nine and six, and you're five and ten. Is that right? Hey, you have to be truthful. You know, you have to be truthful. You have to put it out there for the people. And, yeah, refreshing candor there. Hey, I will be honest. There's a lot of room for, for growth, for improvement the rest of the way. And as the great Heath Ledger once said as well, aggressive expansion. So there you have it. Those uh, prerequisites are out of the way, and we are we are keeping our eye on the ultimate prize, my friend, which is still dethroning you in the grand scheme of things. It's always possible. Uh, a couple early bull, uh, you know, observations that I've had. First of all, my two surest picks, I think, were Mizzou and San Diego State, and they were big fat L's. So, you know, nothing <sighs> is for sure. I uh, I don't even I don't even dislike. What Herman did mocking the Drew Locke celebration, there was a lot of bad blood on that field, and I've never seen a punter completely dominate a game before. So that was interesting. That was nasty in more ways than one, and I'm telling you, I, I have a hankering to see those two teams match up again. I understand this is not the Big 12 era circa 2005, but that was, yeah, entertaining to actually watch some of the hijinks, some of the antics play out, but not if you're a Missouri Tigers fan. And I still, I didn't take the bait. I'll be honest with you, not to go into too much of digression here. I didn't take the bait with respect to Josh Heupel departing and maybe the offense being thrown into a bit of a tizzy because you still had Drew Locke at the controls. But that was a, an entirely unexpected result, as was the Aztecs Navy verdict. Wow. I just, I didn't see that coming by any stretch of the imagination. And well, I guess it's still par for the course when you're talking about bowl season, this is what occurs, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I got to give a lot of credit to, here's an interesting stat for you, Bradford. First time ever that both army and Navy won a bowl game in the same year. Well, something to think about there. It was good. You know, and I, and I was rooting 
for Army afterwards. Like when they, well, let's just say when they took the spread out of the equation, at that point you're like, why don't they just win this game? So 10, win, 10 wins on the season for Army, 20 total completions. Can't make this stuff up. But Navy, again, doing it to uh, winning uh, today. And uh, not good for the Mac. A lot of losses in there. Jake Allen looking good on the blue turf. But we're going to go onward and upward and try to see if we can make these meaningful games uh, count. Now, just to recap, we we are recording this on Thursday. There's still some games. Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State are playing right now with VT up by a little bit. The Stanford TCU, Washington State, Michigan State games are tonight as well as the barn burner with uh, <laughs> the other schools that we talked about, New Mexico State and Utah State. Definitely set your DVRs for that one. But we're going to start. It's a big one. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But we're going to start with the last game on the 29th. New Mexico State, Utah State precedes that. But it's the first of the New Year's Six games, Bradford, USC, and Ohio State, the teams that were quote-unquote left out of the playoff. Ohio State was number five. USC was a little lower, but another team that thought they had a chance at it. The line on this game, this bowl matchup between two teams, two blue bloods, two storied programs that are playing, not in the Fiesta Bowl, which we thought they would be playing, but that are playing in the evening version of the Cotton Bowl, is seven and a half points for Ohio State. Now, I'm a noted Ohio State fan. I've got a lot to say on this game, but I want to turn it over to you, Bradford. (laughs) This line does seem kind of high, doesn't it? Seven and a half for the Buckeyes against an up and down but still supremely talented USC team? That's a very significant number to me, Mitch. It's too large for my liking, to be completely honest with you. And it does feel, in many ways, like the Rose Bowl, right? Like the many meanings that have occurred between these two blue bloods over the course of the past few decades. And it could have been very easily could have been a third straight Fiesta Bowl appearance for your Ohio State Buckeyes. But what I'm seeing on paper, what I've observed from these two teams this season gives me a lot of cause to be extremely optimistic for a dandy of a matchup tomorrow evening. And when you just think about the way that these two teams are constructed and all the storylines in play when you're talking about Sam Darnold on the USC side, what he potentially could do in his final collegiate game. Yeah, he's got the two years of eligibility remaining, but does anyone legitimately think that he's going to be back in 2018? I think not. Finally, JT Barrett is a senior, could be his swan song here, and I love what J.K. Dobbins has done in the backfield over the course of this season to really form that partnership of sorts with the signal caller for the Buckeyes. So many different narratives that you can really dig into here. For me, if I am a USC fan, though, I have to readily admit, yes, I do, the only two wins this season, yes, coming in with that number eight ranking and actually for a conference champion, Mm -hmm. the lowest ranking, for a committee at this point in the season, but my only two victories versus a ranked opponent, both of which they came against Stanford. Still, you think that this team has to be smarting after being slotted behind not only Wisconsin, but a three-loss Auburn squad. So I know what Darnold's capable of doing. I know what Ronald Jones II is capable of doing. And isn't it funny that even though you think about somebody who has now passed the likes, the esteemed likes of Reggie Bush and Lindale White and the juice on the single season USC rushing list and still I don't think that he quite gets as much credit as he should from side to side here I really think that this boils down to a touchdown or even less than that a field goal style game it's hard to really go with the team or not go with the team I should say that doesn't have the ball for the very last possession of this contest 
Ohio State gets the slimmest, slimmest nod from me, but I can't have a lot of confidence points on this one, buddy. There's absolutely no way. Got to go with just two, but I will go with the Buckeyes to indeed prevail on the end. <laughs> you know, normally I'd say we're a juice-free podcast, but I'll allow it. It was a good reference, and it, and it fit the uh, the uh, point yeah. that you were trying to make. Here's what's fascinating. I think it's a pretty high line because I do think these teams can be, you know, are, are capable of of a classic matchup and then are pretty even across the board, but there are some advantages that each team has. USC's run game, you mentioned Jones and, and you mentioned what he can do, and they have depth at that position beyond him. I think they, if they get their playmakers in space, watch out. It's what happened in that Stanford game. Even if Darnold you know, mm-hmm. has mobility, if they can get the ball to the receivers, it's one thing. Here's where I'm confident-ish, and I'm going to tell my hand here. I'm going to put three confidence on Ohio State to win this game because the one matchup in this game that is an overwhelming favorite, an overwhelming edge to the Buckeyes, is the trenches on Ohio State's defensive side of the ball. USC's Fair. line is by far their weakest position. It's and what I would argue is the main reason Darnold has looked as pedestrian at times as he had this year. I, I think some of it is on him. He needs to be a little better. Some of it's on the receiver drops. But their line, which has been injured, has been getting pushed around all season. And what happens in at the Goodyear Cotton Bowl in Dallas? they got to deal with arguably the best, with, with up there with Clemson. I'd say the deepest, though, the deepest front four that goes about six, seven deep. Full of first and second round draft picks, led by Hubbard, Nick Bosa, those those players. I just think that's what's going to be the difference in this game. I th- I would expect a fair amount of points. I think Ohio State's going to get theirs with Dobbins and Weber, and then JT in his final game. But I still think it's going to come down to USC at at a certain point. Water finds its level, Bradford, and I think USC's O line is going to get worn down by the Buckeyes' defensive interior. I just think that is going to be what happens. Valid observations all, and I also want to point out the matchup between Ohio State, what it is able to do, what it's able to establish, of course, up front in the running game, in addition to the passing prowess of Barrett, and also how USC's front seven conceivably, conceivably could be able to counter that, because it is an athletic front seven. It does have standouts all over the place there, and some breakout performers Mm -hmm. on the line too, but so few teams, we know this, very few outfits have been able to contain that running attack whatsoever for Ohio State. You understand it. You know the fact that this team is is capable of averaging well over 250 yards per game on the ground and having already seen everything that JT Barrett has accomplished previously in his postseason career, if you will, it gives me no pause at all to be able to once again give him that recommendation, give him that stamp of approval. And for me as well, I think you really took the words out of my mouth to a large extent with respect to the defining characteristic in this game, defining characteristic for OSU, that ability to really be able to get downfield with that secondary blocking then as well and just move the line up front when things really potentially yeah. get nip and tuck in the second half. That time of possession is going to be key, and give that to OSU, and as a result, there you have it. There you have your victor. If, if you're worried about conspiracy theorists, I would just say Ohio State not typically doing well in games that aren't playoff games. Urban Meyer, even back to Florida, you can make that argument. In USC, the opposite is true. But let's just call it what it is. It's a tough game to bet on. Seven and a half for Ohio State, and over under of 64 to 65 points. Who knows what that's mm-hmm. going to look like? So. We'll see. Should be a good start to the New Year's Six games. And that leads up right next to our next game on the 30th, noon on December 30th, the Tax Slayer Bowl. 
because it wouldn't be a bowl game without the Tax Slayer rearing its ugly head in Jacksonville, Florida. Mississippi State oh, takes no. on Louisville in what could be, probably will be, Lamar Jackson's swan song. Six and a half point favorites Louisville is against Mississippi State. I'm doing it again, Bradford. I've made this mistake too many times this year in picking Louisville, but I have to do it again. I like them. I like them to a tune of a confidence of four. No Nick Fitzgerald is the key for me. I just don't know how Mississippi State's going to move the ball without their signal caller. No clue. I have no clue whatsoever. And if we were adhering to the old formula or old point style, sir, this one for me would be the overwhelming favorite as far as giving Louisville the maximum number of confidence points. That's how confident I am. Yeah, that's how confident I am in Lamar Jackson and company. And Bobby Petrino can try to spin it however he would like. Look, we understand that for Mississippi State, not having Fitzgerald at the quarterback position, that is only one small part of the equation. Dan Mullen's gone. He took a ton of assistance with him. You've got Joe Moorhead. Yes, he's the new coach in place, but he isn't in place for this bowl game. It's Greg Knox, who's the interim coach here. And not having Fitzgerald in the in this particular game, to me, it just presents so many different question marks because you're turning over the reins then to a freshman quarterback. You're trying to figure out exactly how you're going to be able to keep Louisville off the field. I simply don't see it. And given the way in which Jackson actually concluded his 2016 season, yes, a Heisman Trophy winning campaign at that, but if you recall in the bowl game, not exactly, no. didn't exactly pay great dividends yes, to him. He's going to be extremely motivated, extremely motivated, I think, in this setting to potentially push or improve that draft stock even further. I understand that the Bulldogs have done a commendable job of moving the football on the ground, but when you are rendered so utterly one-dimensional here, the Cardinals are going to have their way five with ease. Yeah, I. they've just choked so many times, though, Bradford. Petrino and Jackson have just <laughs> choked so many times this year. I, we're, I agree with you. We're going to workshop this. We we're in agreement, and, and we're doing all the right things, but I still worry about this game so much because of that Louisville factor. They should handle workshop. them, but, yeah, we'll workshop it. Uh, Bradford runs Now you. I can tell that you've been in L.A. for a while. <laughs> I have, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll group think this one. Maybe adds to more people. Uh, Bradford runs Money Mitch Effect, the next game, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl between Memphis and Iowa State. In Memphis, a Memphis home game. And you know what I'm going to do, Bradford? I'm going to go out on a limb and say one. I, I actually love this matchup. I, I think this is great, even unpredictable. It's why I watch bowl season. I have no confidence yeah. in this game. But I'm leaning, and I'm going to go with Iowa State over the local team, on the road, over Riley Ferguson, who's had a phenomenal freshman campaign. I just like what Iowa State's doing. They doubled down on their coach. They re-signed him. They had some big wins this year. I'm going to go with the Cyclones. With all due respect to Baby Bash, I'm going with the Cyclones. They've had all kinds of signature triumphs. I am not going to disagree with you there whatsoever. The upset wins, we all recall, obviously, the OU game, then unbeaten TCU, and you're being able to compete with the wide-open, high-scoring attacks of the Big 12. So Memphis, really, I'm not exactly sure that the Cyclones, under the tutelage of the second-year coach, Matt Campbell, are really going to bet many an eyelash at the prospect of facing a team that averaged almost 48 points per contest during the regular season. But... For me, this offense is too talented for Memphis, playing in its own backyard. I love Ferguson, as you referenced. 
the fact that he went for nearly 4,000 yards, just about 40 touchdowns, and he's deadly efficient and precise with his passes too. And the difference maker on the outside here, and Memphis has no shortage of guys who can haul in that pigskin, is Anthony Miller. This is a guy who is primed for the next level. He has almost 100 catches on the season to go along with those 1,400 yards. I don't think that Iowa State has necessarily really seen the arsenal, the full array of receivers that Memphis is actually going to be presenting coming into this game. And don't forget about Daryl Henderson on the ground either. This is somebody who's averaging. Now, yeah, he's more of a, not necessarily a scat back, but an extra option, not a bell cow back. This is somebody who's averaging nine yards per game on the ground. So that multifaceted attack, I really love what Memphis is doing, and I'm fairly confident in the Tigers as well to the tune of three points okay. here. Got to get back into the standings somehow. So this was this is a game to make your move. I don't want a clock error either. You know, some home cooking. I think we could see that Memphis pulling out all the stops to get the win at home. So. Hey Brian Peavy, that defensive backfield. If that secondary can make some plays and force the Gerald into a few snafus early on, you never know. I do expect a tight game at least well into the fourth quarter. But those Tigers, hey, they're going to come out and roar accordingly here. Take oh, yeah. my word on that one. We'll see. That's a fascinating one. Very under the radar there. Uh, and another New Year's Six game is on deck next, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, because we can't just have one nice thing. We have to add a, a gaming device to it, but it's the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl this year, Washington and Penn State. Kind of odd to me that they're going to play this game again for the uh, second straight year during daylight hours, but or third straight year, I should say, but you know, I'm just used to it. Uh, at night, but Washington and Penn State, and in a perfect world, in a different world, this would be a playoff matchup. This is a disappointing mm-hmm. game for both these teams for where they were expecting to be in the preseason, but a good matchup, I must say, and one that, again, has me thinking it could go either way. Not a lot of confidence picks on my end, Bradford. I went to the tune of two to the dwindling, now only minus two, favorites in Penn State. I like the Nittany Lions to win this game for the simple reason that I think their star players are going to shine, going to show out a little bit more. Both these teams had some bad losses in the year that kept them out of playoff contention. But to me, right. from a Pierce talent standpoint, I think Penn State's got a little more across the board, certainly on offense, and I like the Nittany Lions to take care of business. And I like James Franklin's squad as well, and you suggested as much in terms of the sheer number of quality playmakers across the board, Penn State has the edge in that department. It goes it goes well beyond Barkley and just some of the other guys that Trace McSorley, the quarterback, has at his disposal. Now, Barkley is an unbelievable transcendent player in his own right. We understand that. And how about somebody who comes to the forefront, to the absolute forefront, in the biggest imaginable scenarios, too? That Rose Bowl performance of a year ago, I think you're going to see shades of that. You're going to see a strong performance that really replicates what he did a year ago in that setting and for McSorley being the trigger man of this attack too he's got a four pack of 40 catch receivers Mitch spreading that ball all over the field I do not think that Washington can account for that now the Huskies we understand it wasn't that long ago we were talking about a team that perfect home season this team got a size number five in the rankings before that loss that devastating loss to Arizona State could have had a second straight appearance in the national playoff. But down the stretch, I liked what Penn State was simply doing a little more. This is in no way an indictment on Chris Peterson. I love what he is doing there in the Pacific Northwest. But from a pure talent standpoint here, for me, Penn State, the resurgence of this program, 
the back-to-back losses. They're going to figure out a way to avenge those defeats to OSU and MSU here. So give me Franklin and company. Give me them with, like you, here. I think it's the first time, actually, this particular evening that we are echoing each other's sentiments. But I'm also going to say by just two. Yeah, I, I know we're, we're agreeing a little too much on this show, but I, I watched Washington this year and was just, other than that Apple Cup game, which speaks a lot to Washington State's lack of showing up in big games, wasn't impressed. Wasn't impressed with what Washington uh, performed like this year. Are you surprised at one last thing on this game, that Barkley's actually playing in it, given the fact that he's a perennial reviewed upon top five pick? Oh, it's very, very surprising to me. I, I It's... I'm really at a bit of a loss as to exactly what the impetus may be. It's not as if this essential, this individual outing is going to propel him to, you know, an even greater draft position. I don't think that he has anything else to prove at this level. However, I'm certainly not going to shy away from one more opportunity on the D1 stage on this particular stage to be able to actually delight in his play and his accomplishments. But yeah, it's a pleasant, pleasant surprise, isn't it? It certainly is. I'm glad we're getting to see it. It makes this game much more watchable. Um, although, if he didn't play, my guess is this line would flip by about a touchdown. But that's just my hunch on how this game would go. Uh, I'm excited mm-hmm. for this one. And another New Year's Six game up next. Still talking with Brad for Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect. Another game that same day, the Capital One Orange Bowl. The nightcap, Wisconsin and Miami. Two teams that lost in their conference championship games would have had playoff appearances they'll settle for this one in miami gardens another home game this time for the hurricanes for the turnover chain a very interesting matchup a clash of styles which usually appears to be the case when wisconsin is involved but bradford i look at this game (laughs) no i looked at this game i look at wisconsin a four and a half point favorite on the road and sometimes bradford the easiest way to get a tell on a game is to look at the odds and that told me a lot like Miami, they overachieved early. They're injured. They're still beat up. I think the Badgers are going to win this game, and I'm going to put four confidence points on it. Is that a little outrageous? It's, it's not outlandish whatsoever, my friend. It's not outlandish at all, and I'm going to tell you why. Because for me, when looking at the different ways in which these two teams could separate themselves or distinguish themselves from each other, I keep coming back to the fact that Wisconsin is the number one team in the entire country when it comes to total defense. And even more important than that, number two in rushing defense. And think about just how mightily Miami struggled in the last two games of the season, specifically in terms of being able to chew up some yardage on the ground. Travis Homer, less than three yards per carry in his last two games, both losses. What was the common denominator there? Miami simply could not get it going on the ground because at the quarterback position, Rozier's still too inconsistent. Wisconsin has the ability, has the big guys up front and also that ability to move laterally to really him in the threats coming out of the backfield for the Hurricanes. And I understand that Miami prides itself on also being a team that wreaks absolute havoc on the defensive side. You have to give credit to an outfit that posted, that forced 30 turnovers during the course of the season. You've got that defensive back tandem right there of Jaquan Johnson and Michael Jackson. Hey, they're ready-made for the NFL right now. But Wisconsin also underrated when it comes to forcing turnovers in its own right. 26 turnovers forced for the Badgers. And this team, year after year after year, as far as being in big-time, big, high-leverage situations, 16th consecutive bowl game. That's the longest such streak 
in the entire Big Ten Conference. I just don't think that Wisconsin, year after year, Mitch, really gets the credit that it is due. And right here, right now, irrespective of the venue, I don't care that this game is being played in Miami Gardens. Give me five oh, wow. in favor of Wisconsin. That four-and-a-half line, that is entirely too small for me. It Way seems likely. Small. If I'm Wisconsin, I'm uh, first of all, I'm a little disappointed there was no between the both of us, Luther Campbell reference uh, in our preview of this game, but we'll have to just get better in that regard. Uh, oh, we I'm, did fail. We, yeah. <laughs> if I'm Wisconsin, I don't want to throw the ball more than 20 times this game. I want to bleed out the clock. I want to run. I want a heavy dose of Taylor because it sounds corny, but the only way Miami, in my opinion, can win this game is by utilizing the turnovers. It, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the way they win this game. If they can pick off Hornibrook a few times and flip the field because you mentioned it. Wisconsin is going to shut down their running game most likely, and they're going to run the ball successfully themselves. So if you're talking about a way, a blueprint for Miami to win, it's get a couple turnovers, jump on them early, and just try to hold on. But, yeah, I, I like the Badgers here. I think they, they played very well against the Buckeyes. They were able to do some things well that I think they, they should do. Miami just, you know, they overachieved. It, it, it happens. It's It built up a false sense of how good I think this team really is. So. Uh, another no, you, you like the Badgers here. Yeah. yeah, you like the Badgers here, Mitch, and you like the, the Badgers for the foreseeable future, too, especially because of Jonathan Taylor, in my estimation. Here's a running back who's actually just 80 yards shy of shattering Adrian Pearson's FBS freshman record for yards mm-hmm. in a season. So keep churning him out, Badgers. Woo. Yeah, every, every time without fail. Uh, next game on our list, we're getting to New Year's Day now. We're at that point. There's no games on the 31st, but we're on New Year's Day, a couple games before the playoff games. The Outback Bowl, everyone's favorite. Everybody loves the Outback Bowl, noon Eastern time in Tampa, Florida, with South Carolina taking on the best fourth-place conference finisher in their own division of all time, I think, the Michigan Wolverines, <laughs> in a yeah. in a interesting matchup between two teams that – had a, I think I would say a little different aspirations this year. South Carolina behind Will Muschamp had an up and down season, but played pretty well down the stretch in Michigan, which again failed to get out of their own division, and you know had some struggles. Could not beat a single good team on their schedule. They're a seven and a half point favorite in this game. It pains me, mm. pains me to say, but I do like the Wolverines in this one. I think the talent disparity is a little strong on this end, and then Michigan knows how to beat mediocre teams. <laughs> it's what they do, so give me the Wolverines. I like the Wolverines, and I will go with three points in this instance as well. I agree with you insofar as it's an interesting matchup. It certainly isn't going to be an aesthetically pleasing matchup though i do expect some nice defensive play on both ends here but let's be frank we really don't have any clue as to what to expect from brandon peters from even jake bentley on the other side too these are two guys who struggled repeatedly throughout the course of the season and peters in that game suffering that concussion against wisconsin too as far as actually you know having the depth behind him in that position is it going to be a matter of wilton spate maybe even you know taking the reins at some point during this contest too. I don't like if I'm South Carolina, just what the sophomore Bentley has done down the stretch as far as not taking care of the football. The Gamecocks, when you think about exactly how this team concluded the regular season, his turnovers, the seven picks in the final month of the season, big reason as to why this team maybe didn't have or wasn't able to meet some of those larger aspirations that really were thrown out there at the outset of the season. So Bentley did a much better job, I thought, during the first half of the season, Mitch, taking care of the football. South Carolina's offense was humming to a greater degree, a much greater degree 
in my opinion, during September, October, etc., I will go with Harbaugh. I will go with Michigan here, although I have to say that one is not a must-see for me on New Year's Day, but we're getting ready for those, buddy. We are. I might have been a little uh, a little harsh on my uh, my Michigan drop there. I'll, I'll go three on them, and uh, hey, maybe they can have some satellite camps when they're down there too, so it's a win-win for Harbaugh and company. But uh, yes. <laughs> they got Shea Patterson coming, so they're going to be a little better at the QB position, but uh, an end to a disappointing season for sure. Uh, the next game we're going to talk about before we get to the real heavyweights on January 1st is none other than the, the Citrus Bowl presented by Overton's. And I had to look up what exactly Overton's was. Did you know? Just out of curiosity. Overton's. No, <laughs> no that is, well, we, we had to clarify this last week, though. The, the impetus is on you Mitch, okay. this year as far as being able to get all the, yes. the names out there, the product okay. placement and whatnot. You, you took that on. So I, I trusted you okay. implicitly. I got it. It is basically water sports, water sports boating, anchor docking, just general water sports and you know enjoying time on the boat and on the beach uh since 1976 and if you go to their website they are promoting the heck out of the fact that they have a bowl game so more power to hey, them free shipping on all orders december actually the, so <laughs> december the 28th tell me more tell me more i, I need to warm up come on give me that, more <laughs> that game i don't i don't have enough yet i need to prep some more on that but the game that they are sponsoring their citrus bowl is lsu and notre dame an interesting matchup, to say the least. Again, two teams, and I'd say one team in particular, Notre Dame that started out so hot with second in the first playoff ranking. But they're in this game after a couple losses down the stretch. LSU has had a really up-and-down season where they started off good, lost some embarrassing matchups, and then went on a little bit of a tear late to get themselves to a January 1st bowl game in Orlando, Florida. A game in which Notre Dame is a three-point underdog to LSU, and I like the favorite. Again, I haven't been going underdog too much down in this game. I just think the Tigers, Coach Ogeron, his his methods, uh, is the method to his madness, I think it will work out well. I just like LSU to control the trenches, to be completely honest, Bradford. That's what happened to Notre Dame in their two losses down the stretch. Stanford and Miami both beat them up up front, did not give their quarterback time to play. They have that unbelievable running game that was never able to get off the ground. And I like LSU. The line opened at one. It's moving to three. I think the Tigers keep it going on New Year's Day. Boy, Coach O's defense, it is as legitimate as it gets, isn't Mm -hmm. it? When you're talking about the ability to really crash into the backfield, penetrate, and cause some havoc in Notre Dame, we understand the offense. It's no great shakes, especially relative to what we saw during the initial portion of that schedule. This is a drastically different-looking squad at present, especially when you think about it. It's really hard in many ways to fathom that Hey, during the first month plus of the season, we were talking about Josh Adams as a surefire Heisman candidate, right? We were really extolling the virtues there of Brandon Wimbush as far as being a dual-threat quarterback, Uh being somebody who could really make a difference and not just be raw, a raw athlete in that sense. And then the late-season losses, those those losses to Miami, to Stanford, great programs, yes, teams having great seasons for the most part, but just uninspired football seemed to be – par for the course on those particular afternoons. I don't necessarily know if Notre Dame is able to really be able to get itself together for this matchup against the Tigers. And for me, it all boils down to whether Geis is able to consistently, and what will be his final performance as well, able to really just consistently gain that edge against the Notre Dame defense. I think that is a strong, strong possibility 
no doubt about it. But I want to see more in the passing game for LSU. I don't think that the Tigers can simply rest on their laurels, rest on really that tendency to be able to force turnovers, to be able to do things on the defensive side. This one is going to be much tighter, I believe, Mitch, than many people suspect. And against my better judgment here, because you talked about it and you mm-hmm. referenced, hey, I need to play catch up at some oh, point, yeah. right? Oh, this yeah. one is a wild card game for me. It's a wild card game. And as such, I will lean toward Notre Dame with a lot of reservations, mind you. Two points, but we're going to ride with the Irish here. Golden Domers, don't let me down. All right. I'm three on LSU, and I think that maybe the trophy should be of uh, Jamarcus Russell or somebody like that because this should be his bowl game. Uh, got him paid a lot of money, but that's neither here nor there. All right, Bradford Bruns, Money Mitch Effect, the final New Year's Six games, all on January 1st, starting with Central Florida taking on Auburn in the Peach Bowl, now, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Shout out to Chick-fil-A, always. This game's on Monday, definitely not a Sunday. And, they, okay. <laughs> and it's Auburn versus Central Florida, and it is time for another, I think the only one for me today, but another five-star, five-confidence pick lock. Bradford, Auburn's going to destroy really this did. team. Auburn is going to destroy this team. I'm sorry, Central Florida. But anytime you have a coach double-dipping, it's a bad sign. But I just go to on-the-field talent, SEC versus Power 5. Auburn was number one, was I should say number two recently. And they're going to take on Central Florida, who I just don't see it. I just don't see the talent matching up. I don't see how they win any battle at the line of scrimmage. Great offensive performance defensively. What do you do to Stidham? What do you do to that running game? What do you do to Melzon's offense? Five confidence points comfortably for Auburn. Can you play the synonym game with me here? Decimate, annihilate, devastate. However you want to categorize this matchup on paper, it's going to be flat out nasty. I couldn't concur with you more. I think Auburn and Gus on the heels of inking that seven-year, $49 million extension. Everything's going to come up roses. If it can, if you're an Auburn fan and it can come up roses after playing in this sort of bowl game, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, mm-hmm. yes, we understand. You're not a member of the Final Four. You're not playing for the national title this season. But as a three-loss team and down the stretch this season, what you saw from this Auburn outfit, I'm sorry, but it really is as simple as taking a Tiger squad that knocked off Georgia and Alabama essentially in succession in the final month over the, of the season over a squad that narrowly, narrowly was able to knock off South Florida in its conference title game. With all due respect to UCF, going for that perfect campaign, and we didn't even dig into the Scott Frost side of things either as far as taking the Nebraska job, you know, being on hand there, his staff trying to do the good thing, trying to do their due diligence all the way around, hey, I don't think distractions play any role in this whatsoever. It is a difference as far as overall talent is concerned. And don't also do not underestimate the fact that right here, right now as well, carry on Johnson, having had that extra time to get healthy, having had that extra time to be on the mend before this bowl game, he is going to dominate. I think from start to finish, we'll really be able to pad those numbers in the second half of this contest. Give me five as well for Auburn rolling. Roll. Yeah, you mentioned it right here, right now. Is that a Jesus Jones reference, or? <laughs> well, we may not have been able to uh, service service everyone earlier in the proceedings, but you can bet that I'm going to 
yeah, subtly slide okay. in as many as I can. I just wonder how quickly Scott Frost just rips off his, you know, Central Florida polo and windbreaker and just <laughs> leaves for for redder pastures, if you know what I mean. But uh, oh, I'm, you may I, as well do it at halftime. That's when the game will be over. That's true. I I don't think there's much more to say. I think we're both riding high in Auburn in this one. Just from a varsity versus JV to, to say metaphor. Uh, but that's when we get to the big playoff games, the college football playoff, the first one being the Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma. A great, great matchup there in that game. And we're all excited for it for a lot of reasons. But there's one thing in particular i got to say. To see Georgia, a team like Georgia, in the Rose Bowl, this matchup just makes it totally unique and totally different. Uh, and these are the, these are the two and three seeds, so this should be an even game. This line opened at a pick'em. It's now Georgia minus two and a half. I've thought long and hard about this game, and I can only attach a confidence of two to this game. But Bradford, I'm riding with the dogs on this one. With all due respect to Baker, mm. with all due respect to their running game, their passing game, that prolific offense, I have reservations about their defense, how they've underperformed in big games this year in in hostile environments this year and the fact that I think Georgia is just going to own the line of scrimmage and own the running game this is a Georgia team that learned a lot from the fact of how they lost to Auburn the first time they played they got behind early and they panicked they they abandoned who they were they threw the ball a lot they abandoned the Sonny Michelle and uh, Nick Chubb game but running game but the second time they they adjusted that they gave the ball to Sonny they gave the ball to Chubb and they just stayed with who they were when they were down I don't think they're going to make that mistake again I think they're going to have a sizable crowd advantage because of how that fan base travels I like the dogs I'm going Georgia I like them to actually cover minus two and a half and I'll say dare I say this might be an under 60 points I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you mm-hmm. off the top. And Chubb, seemingly 50 years after he first started between the hedges there at Georgia, he's still the one who makes this dog's offense go. We understand that. And the coaching staff, obviously, I don't want to say it was necessarily a, a rude awakening for Kirby Smart. But, yes, when you proceeded to put the ball in the freshman QB, Jake Fromm's hands a little too much down the stretch, we understood, we saw, we witnessed exactly what transpired. That dynamic combination in the backfield is the way to go. That's the only way, in my opinion, the only manner in which Georgia is able to conceivably win this game and perhaps prevail convincingly. Having said all that, to me, the number one player on the field, the number one player in college football, tips the balance in favor of OU in this particular instance. Now, I understand Oklahoma has no shortage of defensive foibles. I get it. This is not a Sooners outfit that is especially well-equipped to be able to to stop, to be able to neutralize in any sense a physical front line and offensive line and really the dynamic qualities on display from those running backs, from the Bulldogs. But there's just something about Baker Mayfield, and whether you want to call it a combination, the narrative there as far as the anecdotes, as far as the intangibles and the obvious on-field measurables, I like what Mayfield is able to do. I really think that he's going to be able to carve up the secondary for Georgia. I do. I think that Mayfield and Oklahoma immediately, I believe immediately, goes into attack mode and takes this game to the Bulldogs' defense. There's no other way. Oklahoma is not going to pull any punches as far as its approach is concerned. We get it. Everything is on the shoulders 
of Baker Mayfield here. He's going to, in my estimation, make enough plays individually on his own to be able to account for the difference there, the disparity as far as the offensive line and some of the other shortcomings there for Oklahoma. I will lean with, I will ride with the best player on the field, and I think this is a, this is a setting that will enable him to really be able to carve a permanent, permanent signature or mark into the overall legacy with respect to among all-time Oklahoma quarterbacks. Because you think about even the last 10 to 15 years in Norman, you think about some of the great passers who have actually moved through there in the collegiate ranks, and you think about the unsatisfactory ways in which they finished their respective careers. Yes, Sam Bradford, he won the Heisman back in 2008, though this Oklahoma team couldn't finish the deal. 50 touchdowns, 8 interceptions didn't amount to that much of anything in the grand scheme of things. They're about titles. All right, you go back to Jason White in 2004. Again, a third-place finish overall. Great numbers. Did he win the big one? No, he didn't. Mayfield has a chance here. And in 2003, the last title-winning campaign for the Sooners overall on the national level, you had the great Josh Heupel. But numbers notwithstanding, wasn't the same individual standout. Baker Mayfield here with the transcendent performance. And again, depending on what would happen the following week, I think you're looking at precisely that, him moving atop really that Mount Rushmore of sorts when it comes to Oklahoma quarterbacks. And yeah, I made this, this fateful mistake months ago when it came to the NBA. And, hey, you know what? I will do it again with respect to NCAA Football Division One. I. I will go with the best man out there on the gridiron in what should be a scintillating affair. And just to show you the depth of my appreciation for Baker Mayfield, I'm giving three points here to the Sooners. Okay. Three. I, I don't disagree with a lot of what you said, though I'll, I'll counter with one thing. As the great Mike Tyson says, everybody has a play until they're punched in the face. So I know Baker mm-hmm. looks great, but we'll see how, how they deal with that Georgia interior that is downright nasty. Well, I'm excited for this oh, game. Yeah. There's only one more game to talk about. It's Alabama and Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. The one seed Clemson taking on Alabama. It's the third straight year. It's a trilogy now. These two teams have met in the title the last two years. With all due respect to both of these teams, I think we should expect it to be better than the Godfather Part 3, maybe. (laughs) Well, it's safe to say that Sofia Coppola won't be at the Superdome, so... Yeah, that goes without saying. So Alabama, Clemson, Trinity, Revolutions, whatever trilogy metaphor you want to put on this game, two teams that clearly have title aspirations. Yeah, No, Keanu Reeves won't be there either. But this game is a over-under of 47 points. Alabama opened as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. They now are a three-point favorite. I'm going to say right off the bat what my pick is, and we'll, we'll go from there. But I got four confidence picks on the points on the Crimson Tide. I think Bama wins this game. I think, I think a loss mm. woke them up. Saban has had over a month to tell his team how bad they are to make sure there's no ego in that locker room. I think there's a lot of talent there. They lose a conference rivalry game that does happen in the college football season. And as great as Clemson is, as great as they've been, as great of a program as Dabo Sweeney has built in his 15 years at the helm, they don't have Deshaun Watson. And that's the type of quarterback that you need to be to save and let Alabama team, in my opinion. And they don't have that this year. All due respect to Kelly Bryant and company, I think Bama wins this game. I think their defense is the difference. And I'll, I'll even throw a score out for you. I'll say this game goes 24-13. to 13. Fewer points than I had anticipated, mm-hmm. but I dig it. 
I like it. And even if, Mitch, you hit the nail on the head with respect to a lot of different things, buddy, but even if you concede that Alabama's defense in 2017, and I agree if even from a depth standpoint or lack thereof, is a notch below that of the past few years, it's still an Alabama defense predicated on physicality, predicated on athleticism, and having had a month to prepare for this matchup. Now, at the end of the day, with all due respect to Dabo Sweeney, with everything that Clemson has accomplished to actually get itself in that position, the rarefied heights of the tip-top titans in college football, having had that much time to prepare, are you still going to put your vote, cast your vote, onto the side of Sweeney or Nick Saban? For me, until proven otherwise, I just I cannot side against. I can't in any way go against Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. And I will say this as well, Jalen Hurts, yes, he was much maligned down the stretch in 2017. Which of these two quarterbacks is going to be able to push the ball downfield enough to make enough plays mm-hmm. in the intermediate to longer game to be able to really prevail there in New Orleans? For Kelly Bryant, hey, in the shadow of Deshaun Watson this season, he's been miraculous at different points. We get that. But He's also been inconsistent as the downfield thrower. I don't think that we've necessarily had as many opportunities or we've wanted to nitpick some of those inefficient qualities in his game. But really, you look at Bryant and Hurts in some ways, kind of mirror images of each other. So then it comes down to the ground game for me. And still, I love what Alabama is able to do and the number of threats that they throw at you repeatedly. Wearing down Clemson, I believe, in the second half, I know the defense has really been able to make a lot of strides over the last year plus, but in this third straight trip to the playoff for Clemson, round number three here, the trilogy, I just, to me, I can't, I cannot bear the thought, actually. I'm not as brave. I'm not as bold as you. I can't give four points to one side or the other here, but I can't give you a score because you challenged me mm-hmm. in that regard. And I will say that this one is marginally, it's, it's going to be higher scoring, in my opinion, mm-hmm. than a lot of people believe. I will actually take the over here for that wow. matter, too. And I will say just slightly, you've got Alabama 27, Clemson 24. Okay. Alabama with three confidence points. All right. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the running game. Give me Harris and Scarborough. The running backs look like linebackers. I just think they get going. They get going, and and they're they're a team that's still self-aware and knows when they need to tack it on, when they should go to the run. I'd be interested to see the Pruitt situation there on the coaching staff, though. He's got a job in, in the same conference trying to recruit away players, so that might be odd. It was a little odd last year with, with Lane Kiffin there, but I think they should probably handle it better considering that that was the worst way possible you can handle that situation. And this is an annual ritual now in Tuscaloosa. This mm-hmm. is nothing new. <laughs> it certainly is. Well, Bradford, this was a blast. We made it through another year. We made it through another bowl season. Uh, appreciate you coming on and doing it in two parts. And my final word, my parting shot would be, hope the weather's good down there, you know, further and down in the standings. <laughs> <laughs> you're the man money i always appreciate the opportunity enjoy that game especially the one you know what i'm talking about tomorrow night make sure your arrangements your plans are in order and then into the new year 2018 and beyond have a great one and i get the feeling that given the events that are going to transpire over the next 48 hours and next week plus we may need to recap all the proceedings before too long as well. Absolutely. Uh, We'll definitely need to do that. But seriously, though, Bradford, thanks for coming on the show. 
And uh, until next time, hope the holiday was good uh, and uh, hope the new year brings in uh, some good things as well. But thanks again, buddy, for coming on the show. Likewise, my friend. Happy 2018 to you. Thanks again to Bradford Runs for another fantastic year of bull picks. We will be monitoring all of the picks that remain to see who has the juice and who's ready to claim supremacy. But thanks to him, another great series. And we just love bull season. It's a great time all the way through the title game. And uh, a week from New Year's Day, we're going to be following that to the max. So thanks to Bradford again for coming on and breaking down all the bulls that 2017 and 2018, early 2018, has to offer. Now it's time to talk to Ryan Soul, switch it up to go to the pro game. The NFL is almost at playoff point right now. We have one week left in the season. Ryan and myself will break down the seeds, some division races, how the Falcons might miss the playoffs, how the Cowboys did miss the playoffs. Will the Browns go 0-16? Looks very, very likely. All that and more. It's Ryan Soul's on the Money Mitch Effect right now. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back again to talk some NFL football over this holiday season. Ryan Souls. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. Man, happy to be here. Happy holidays to you, and uh, thanks for having me out, man. Appreciate that, Ryan. It's a, it's always a good time to talk NFL football, and we have 16 weeks down, just one week remaining. We're finally starting to see some semblance of the playoff picture in the NFC we're down to about seven. We're down to exactly seven teams, two fighting for that last wild card. The AFC has some wild card battles at the end, but we'll start with the NFC, Ryan. And something that'll brighten your day, I know. The Dallas Cowboys not going to the playoffs. Seattle beats them in what essentially was a head to head elimination game. Seattle's still alive, but Dallas loses that game. And, Ryan, it was, again, a story of their offense. Zeke Elliott is back, but they don't do much on that side of the ball Seattle with all their injuries was able to bottle them up in this game and going looking back at the season that was not for the Cowboys what do you think went wrong what do you think was the big factor into why the Dallas Cowboys division winners a year ago fall 21-12 to the Seahawks and are not going to the playoffs in 2017 well you know I'm not trying to be superficial here at all but I think the suspension had a lot to do with it but really the timing of it I think if Jerry Jones decided, okay, I'm not going to fight Roger Goodell on this one. Let's just get the suspension out of the way so I can get, you know, my bell cow back. I actually think they'd be in a much better position, uh, probably at least in contention to make a playoff spot, if not really challenge, uh, have challenged Philly for the division uh, with the way Zeke can run the ball. Uh, I think that was a big part to do with it. And I think secondly, Jason Garrett just doesn't need to be there. As a as a cowboy hater, I'll always be happy that he has a job there. But if they actually, <laughs> if they actually want to win, he does not need to be coaching. And I think I brought this up two weeks ago or last time I was on. If Bill Belichick was coaching the Cowboys, how much better would they actually be? Uh, that's kind of a scary thought because they got talent uh, and the defense plays better than I think they are on paper. They just play hard. Yeah, I, and, and you know what, Ryan, to kind of compound that point, I, I think Dallas in the front office could have done better. Uh, Dak did not look as good, and we talked about Dez regressing as their go-to receiver. 
mm-hmm. they didn't really add much. I mean, you lose Zeke for six games, it hurts. I know they won the last couple games. Defensively, they didn't really double down. They didn't really add anything. I mean, can you think of one area where they substantially got better from a year ago? I mean, I, I can't. I know part of that's coaching, but I think part of that's the front office, too. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, if anything, I, I think you can say the front seven of the defense is better when Sean Lee's out there, but I don't think they actually got better. I mean, everybody in the NFL gets better. You know, that's the way I look at it, and um, I, I think they just, you know, the Eagles get better. Other teams make moves, uh, and certain teams like Seattle are, are able to fight through adversity a little better. Maybe that is coaching. Uh, but, yeah, the Cowboys aren't going anywhere, and Seattle stays alive. That's the remarkable thing, Ryan, is that the Seahawks, with all their injuries, the secondary has just been ravaged. And there's Russell Wilson just playing hard with the poor line, keeping the Seahawks afloat. Yeah, definitely. They always find a way to squeeze out these type of games. And just when you think they've kind of written off, they always just get their hand up right before the three count. Like, they're never just pinned down. So it'll be interesting to see how this last week shakes out because they're playing hard and yeah they're depleted from injury but they have the experience they know how to win so it'll, it'll definitely be interesting ryan souls money mitch effect uh, another uh, game from week 16 that i do want to spend uh, some time talking is that team that won that division the philadelphia eagles and they're 13 and 2 ryan they're they're looking like a first round overall home field advantage seed is likely they've already clinched the first round by but the vibe out of Philly is a little different now. Obviously, Carson Wentz goes down. Nick Foles is back at quarterback for the Eagles. He looked good in his first game against the Giants, but not at all against the Raiders. So let me frame the question like this. I know the Eagles are going to have a bye, and it's two games to get to the Super Bowl. But do you think their chances are can be summed up as realistic? Do you think Nick Foles can be the guy to win two games? Because we know how tough the NFC playoffs are going to be. And at least Monday night, he did not look too hot. My only case really for hope of this not being a one-and-done scenario is to look at the precedent that's been set. I think this defense, while I don't think it's all-time great, I think it's good enough to carry a Nick Foles for a game or two if he doesn't play that well. I think we've seen it with guys like Trent Dofer. I think we've seen it with guys like Brad Johnson. Now, those guys had all-time great defenses, but – you know, they only need, you know, this Eagles defense only needs a couple key takeaways and Nick Foles to protect the ball and anything can happen. I just think they're on a crash course to play Minnesota, and I don't think Minnesota's going to do that. I think they can get that advantage on literally any other team. I think they can beat the Rams. I think they can beat the Saints. I I would not want to play the Falcons, but I think they could beat them. Uh, I just don't see them beating the Vikings. I think, yeah, I mean, the Falcons have all their issues. I, I the biggest issue for me with this and that theory is I think the NFC playoffs are deep and there's a lot of good offenses that are going to be coming in to potentially play. I mean, we don't know how the seeds are going to shake out. Carolina could go as high as number two. Mm-hmm. If they're in that four or five range, if the Saints are down there and the Rams, if one of those teams comes to Philly with their offenses, the Eagles defense is going to have to play damn near flawless to Absolutely. put themselves in that position. I think Foles is somewhere in between these last two games. He looked really good against the Giants. He looked really poor against the Raiders. I think he's a mediocre quarterback, and I think it's going to come down to the running game. Uh, the, the the Monday night game was very bad for another reason, too. The Raiders have pretty much quit on their season. You have to blow a team like that out, and I don't care if Foles is your quarterback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They definitely quit on their season, and you definitely got to blow them out. 
And they just didn't come ready to play at all. And I think we talked a lot about Derek Carr. You know, I think he would have been both at the beginning of the season. And I don't know if this has been some regression to the mean. I don't know if this team thought they were much better than they thought they are, than thought they were better than they actually are. But uh, something was, was weird about the Raiders this year. Certainly was. Uh, Ryan, we're going to talk about a few more uh, storylines in the Week 16 season before we spend a good amount of time talking Week 17 playoff scenarios and all of that. But i got to give props to one player in particular, and that is the guy that has I mean, thrown himself right into the forefront of the MVP race and won a lot of fantasy football leagues the last couple weeks, and that's Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. What he's done for the Rams, they clinched the NFC West. They're they're going to sit him this week and Jared Goff and, and try to probably settle into that four seed. But Ryan Gurley in the last three weeks has been unbelievable. He is leading the league at rushing 1,305 yards. He's got 800 receiving yards and, and 19 total touchdowns in 15 games. Ryan, he's a game changer. I mean, when he's on the field playing like this, the Rams can beat anybody, and it's scary to see him move up to this potential that we all thought that we might see coming out of Georgia. No, I agree. And I think, you know, people have asked, you know, what's the biggest difference between the Rams and the Eagles? And I think when healthy, you know, as you can see, I think the Eagles offense goes through Carson Wentz, as we've seen. The Rams offense doesn't go through Jared Goff. It goes through Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley is the engine that makes this Ferrari go. And if it wasn't such a quarterback-driven league, I think he'd run away with the MVP, but a quarterback's going to get it. Yeah, well, the only thing is, though, it's only Brady, right? Like, everybody else got hurt, you know. It would have been Wentz, probably. Brady's up there. I I just, I don't see any other options. And, yeah, it's probably going to be Brady, but Gurley at the least is second. I mean, we threw Antonio Brown, too, but he's injured as well. Yeah. No, he's second, and uh, I think he should get offensive player of the year because he he's a receiver. He catches it out of the backfield. He can block. He's so multifaceted. He's young, too. And everybody had wondered, you know, where, what had happened to Todd Gurley. So he could he could really win comeback player of the year, too. <laughs> Crazy thing. <laughs> yeah. 100, 105 fantasy points in the last three weeks. And, and by my account, that's the record. No one has ever done that wow. in the in the big moments. Um, man, just, just pretty incredible stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And that Ram team, I mean, they're, they're going to be deadly in the playoffs. A tough out. It's going to be fun to watch them back there. There. But, but you know, uh, about the Rams, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we hear about Sean McVay, you know, 15 seconds before the microphone, not the microphone, the speaker cuts off and the quarterback's helmet, Sean McVay is given the play calls to the quarterback. It'll be interesting in the playoffs when you're not seeing the same thing if defenses are going to get in something, wait until 15 seconds and then switch just to confuse them and see just how that, that one-two punch of quarterback head coach slash offensive coordinator is actually going to work in the postseason. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I just want to see this team play these meaningful games because they have been the feel-good story of the year and now 7-1 and one on the road. So, hey, when the, when the going gets tough, is this Rams team still there? And even if they're not quite ready. They're on their way, and I think that's the important thing for this young football team. Exciting to watch. Best offense in football. It well, is. Well, Ryan, uh, another team that's been exciting to watch, and it's it's bittersweet for me because I think, as you know, I've wanted this guy on my team that's about to be 0-16. 
But Jimmy Garoppolo, what he's doing for the Niners, I, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? 4-0 oh, wow. with that team, and they're not exactly beating pushovers. He just dropped 44, well, we'll say 37 with the defensive touchdown, but 37 points on the number one statistical defense in the NFL in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And he's got it. I mean, the guy's got it. I don't know how what the ceiling is, but we know he can play it at a very high level at quarterback. Right, and and like I say, and like you said, this is this has been a relatively small sample size, but this is the epitome of what happens when a team can get their franchise quarterback. And we always talk about you do what you do to get that guy if you believe that's the guy, and it appears that Jimmy Garoppolo is that guy. And he, you know, how you know I think he can be this good is he's taking the receivers that C.J. Beathard had and making them just look so much better than they ever thought they'd be. And that that's the power when you have, you know, an up-and-coming franchise quarterback, I think. You can tell that everybody around that team is playing better because they're playing with Jimmy Garoppolo. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the receivers. I mean, all due respect to Garrett Selleck and Marquise Goodwin, but um, – they're not elite level players, and he's doing this. His release, Ryan, is what startles me. I mean, this is a guy with unbelievable pocket presence. He gets the ball away so fast, um, and, and he's doing this with Cal Shanahan, who I think might be might they might realize that he's the most important coach now, given what's going on in Atlanta, uh, given what they've missed and how he, he's he had that team going well, and now they're they're struggling with Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator, but. Um, Man, what what he's been able to do. Look at the numbers of what Matt Ryan did in his first year and what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing. I know it's a small small sample size, Mm-mm. but they're right on pace. And I don't know they what are. the ceiling is. If you get this guy some legit weapons, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Who knows how good this team could be. And I, I got to tell you, uh, and after I'm blanking, uh, John Lynch, the general manager, he's got, he's got to be happy that um, – they got this deal. They don't have to pay Kirk Cousins all that money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Kirk Cousins is going to get paid, too. So everybody wins, uh, Ryan, in this scenario. Uh, mm-hmm. But we'll see. All right. Week 17, Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect, is where we're going to settle all of the playoff picture. I want to go round team by team here and just kind of summarize what's happened and, and where they're at. And in the AFC, it's clear cut at the top, but at the bottom of the wild card race, still a lot to play for. We know this. If the Pats win, Ryan, they're going to get the one seed, and mm-hmm. the Steelers uh, have the two seed, so they have a bye. They're more than likely <laughs> going to beat the Browns and probably settle into that two seed. Do you think there's any chance that the Pats could slip up this week against the Jets? You know, you never know what Belichick and Brady are thinking, you know, this time of year. I think they're they're always a couple steps ahead. I think we could see a slip up if they're looking towards the playoffs or just really don't want to be there or play the Jets, but that doesn't sound like a Bill Belichick coach team. I think they'll be okay. What I'm curious to see though is if he decides to rest his forty year old quarterback. Yeah. Because uh, no one thought and the Jets are bad, but no one thought that they were gonna be this good this year. And Todd Bowles, the way he's coaching that front four, they could just go hunt Tom Brady with nothing to lose. And Bill Belichick could, you know, be going into the postseason with a gimpy quarter, a gimpy old quarterback. So I don't know is this would be a lot easier to decide if you still had Garoppolo backing Tom Brady up. But I, it will be interesting to see if they decide to play Tom, knowing that the Patriots, it doesn't matter where they fall seeding. They can win at home. They can win on the road. They can win in weather conditions. That's kind of what the good teams do. So I don't think they care so much about that. But I would consider not playing my 40-year-old star quarterback. 
It's a tough boat to be in. I see what you're saying. Brady has looked somewhat human these last couple of games, but I do think, is, despite the fact that these games are usually close, the Pats should be fine here. Uh, mm-hmm. Odd to say, but no, Josh McCown is going to hurt the Jets. You know, Bryce Petty not probably not being the answer. No, uh, actually, a surprisingly good season for the Jets. We all thought they'd be terrible, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst team in the league. Uh, still five and ten, um, but. We'll see. And then Pittsburgh, I mean, they're 12-3. and three. They lose that heartbreaker to the Patriots. Uh, the catch rule revisited. But, look, at the end of the day, they're going to be 13-3, and three, second seed in the playoffs. I know it's going to come down to can they win in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty good situation to be in. I mean, they're looking at Jacksonville, probably a rematch at Pittsburgh. And I know the, the Shazier thing was awful, and, and it wasn't, you know, nobody wanted to see that. But, even with their defensive issues, I still like this offense to to be a a dangerous, dangerous threat to anybody, Patriots included, in the playoffs. Oh, totally. And I and I think not having Antonio Brown is going to force this team to be a little bit more diverse with their offense. They'll pound Le'Veon some more. They'll get the ball out to Martavius Bryant and Juju Smith-Schuster. So I think um, Ben not having to worry about targeting Antonio Brown 10 targets a game is going to be better for that offense and that once they get him back it's just going to add a whole nother level that if they play consistent nobody including in New England should beat them on paper in the AFC but they don't play football on paper mm-hmm. yeah and uh, we know how it works with adjustments light just look at that game that was in Pittsburgh uh, that's going to cost them the number one seat Jacksonville locked in at the three seed Kansas City locked in at the four seed Ryan these are two teams that I don't know what the hopes were preseason. Kansas City a little more, obviously, than Jacksonville. They won a lot of games early, each team. They they hit some rough patches. But at the end of the day, these are division winners. And I do want to give them props for that. But I do want to, But in addition, I want to ask you, are these legitimate threats in the AFC playoff picture? And obviously not favorites, but is there any chance that these teams could go on a tear and maybe surprise some people? So I really don't see Kansas City as much as a much of a threat at all. I think they started out blazing with a lot of their trick plays and things that defenses hadn't really seen. But the tapes out on you know the NFL is a copycat style league. They're gonna watch everything you do, and I think they'll be ready for that. I don't think they have enough just offensive firepower for one guy to just say okay when the chips are down we're going to go to this one guy as good as Travis Kelsey is I think good defenses will be able to limit his effectiveness on the game we flip it over to Jacksonville even with that loss to San Francisco if you're Pittsburgh or if you're New England you you're hoping they get they're gone the first round because I don't think anybody wants to see this team uh especially with this defense uh I think they can beat Pittsburgh I don't think I don't think it's very likely but I think they can scare Pittsburgh and if they beat Pittsburgh New England does not want to see this team and as bad as as good as Blake Bortles has been the last couple weeks, I still think he's an overall bad quarterback. I still believe that. But we've seen bad quarterbacks get to the AFC championship game, Mark Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> and and do okay. So I don't think anybody wants to play this Jacksonville team. I would upgrade that to say that he's mediocre. Um, I'll give him that much because even last week, I mean, they lose, but they still put up 33 as an offensive unit. Uh, yeah. Garoppolo looking good. And in the, the prior three weeks, he was number one in QBR in the whole NFL. So, he was. I I got, okay, I got, 
I'll upgrade to Nico. There, and there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in the NFL. That's probably the main reason I'm saying I, I don't want to put him in that worst class of NFL yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. And like you said, with that defense, they don't necessarily need to be. I think the the Pittsburgh game is interesting because they destroyed them at Pittsburgh last time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like I'd like to think that teams can can you know move on and make some uh, you know upgrades and and figure out a way to make adjustments there. I do think Jacksonville's a fascinating team because. They're, I mean, both these teams could lose in the wild card round. It wouldn't surprise us. But you wonder what happens when a defense like Jacksonville gets cooking and they can just control the line of scrimmage. The one thing about Kansas City, Ryan, I don't think they're much of a threat overall. But it is nice to see them use Kareem Hunt a little bit more, mm-hmm. get him back going. He had that month of October where he didn't score a touchdown. Uh, I do think they're too inconsistent. And, and I think that's on the defensive side more than anything, not even talking about Alex Smith and that offense defensively they've been getting gashed at times um mm. so you know the jets putting up 38 points on them is what i do eye opening as well ryan the rest of the afc there's a an interesting uh playoff picture to discuss and we don't know exactly how it's going to play out we know baltimore wins and they're in and they're probably going to get if they win they're in then the five seed if they lose they can still make it but then it's titans who've been been losing left and right the chargers and the bills who need a lot of help but what is your ideal playoff format just from a fan standpoint if you wanted the best teams in who would you want to get those last two spots you know okay we'll, we'll do it backwards because i'm not, we'll, we'll start with an elimination i don't i do not want to see the tennessee titans in the playoffs okay, that's I, very fair <laughs> I, I think they're the definition of a good bad team or a bad good team however you want to put it i just don't i think they're much worse than their record shows i don't think it's all that likely for the chargers to make it but that's the team i would want to see the most because I think in the playoffs, that team just has way too much offensive firepower. If they get hot, I don't think anybody wants to see them. But they, they're also the Chargers, and they could come out laying egg. The Ravens will play anybody tough, but they're just inconsistent. But we, we can agree that we'll just eliminate Tennessee, and I'm okay between whoever Baltimore in the, the Chargers, and you mentioned that I forget the. There might be the one Bills. more. Yeah, the Bills, Bills need a lot of help. I mean, they lost that game to the Pats. They're going to need, you know, they lose pretty much every tiebreaker, so they mm-hmm. need to win and just get the, basically all the other teams to lose. There might be one scenario where uh, they would make it, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think they get in if they win and the Ravens lose. They could win that tiebreaker because they beat them head to head, but. Um, look, Baltimore is a team that I think we know defensively sucks, still having a great season. It's the simplest path. If they win, you get Baltimore-Kansas City. That could be an interesting game, I mean, depending on which version of each team shows up. And I do agree I want the Chargers to get that spot. Here's the fast thing, and because they, they blew all those games, I think their offense can score with anybody, and they lost some close games to some really good teams. Uh, but here's the thing. Tennessee plays Jacksonville, Ryan, this week at home. And Jacksonville, if they decide to rest everybody because they're locked in at the three seed, Tennessee wins. They're probably going to play again in the wild card round. Uh-huh. And that would mean Tennessee is 2-0 and against Jacksonville this year. I'm, you know, I always think teams rest in this situation, but it would not surprise me if Jacksonville doubled down and said, no, we want to keep this team in our division that knows us out of the playoffs. Uh-huh. That's an interesting thing. I know they'd get, I know they'd get t- uh, the Los Angeles Chargers again but they've already beaten them at home. I just think for certain teams that aren't established, a la the Patriots and the Steelers, it might not be a bad thing to try to play to win. Even if you're resting some guys a little bit, I could see Jacksonville just saying we want to knock out this division rival. Yeah, and I don't mind Jacksonville playing to win at all. I mean, all those guys are young. Mm -hmm. I mean, the oldest guy probably 
on the defense is Calais Campbell. And they they all got young. They got a bunch of young bucks everywhere on offense. So I think just play. I agree with you. Try to just get Tennessee out, even though the Chargers, I think, might be a tougher draw. Uh, just get the team out that knows you. I agree. For Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect, quickly looking at the NFC, we mentioned the Eagles 13-2. and two. They have that game uh, coming up to uh, end their season against the Cowboys in the game. Dallas doesn't really have much to play for either. They'd get the one seed if the Vikings, who looked pretty good against the Packers uh, defensively, just doing it well. They have to beat the Bears. So I would be shocked, Ryan, right, if that's not the one-two seed, Philly and Minnesota? Definitely, definitely. I would be shocked, too. It it would be very, very hard-pressed to see, especially knowing what Minnesota has to play for. And, (laughs) I mean, I would even take Case Keenum a step further than Blake Bortles. I would, too. How crazy, I, mean, I mean, how crazy is it that all three of these top three seeds right now in the NFC were de- on the Rams last year playing under Jeff Fisher? All three exactly. quarterbacks. All three quarterbacks. <laughs> That's crazy to me. It says a lot about Jeff Fisher, doesn't it? Just says it does. Uh, the Rams, as we mentioned, they're playing the Niners, and they're resting a lot of younger guys. I, I Look, quarterback's always an issue because you have Goff, and, and you know, he is a young guy and can use the reps, but we know that the season can swing on one injury. Mm-hmm. Early resting makes more sense to me because he's the bell cow. They're gonna, they've written him yeah. hard the last couple of weeks. They're going to need a lot of him in the playoffs if they have any chance. So makes sense. And I think, yeah. and I honestly do think Ryan, looking at the Eagles at the one seed, they're thinking about it because if you're in that three seed, you all have to play the two in the next round, and they might be doing a little strategic tanking. Oh, definitely. No, I, I would rest uh, too. Uh, like you said about the quarterback, with well, a young quarterback, you can never get too many reps. But, you know, I would definitely take Gurley out for the entire game. He might play golf a half, but, you know, I don't mind them resting him either. And that battle for the NFC South, we mentioned the craziness of it. The Saints, if they beat the, if the Saints beat the Bucks and the Rams lose, they get the three seed. If the mm-hmm. Saints lose to the Bucks and the Panthers win, they win the division, can move up to three or two if the Vikings lose. That's crazy. Um, and the Panthers this week have the Falcons who are playing for their playoff lives. I still think New Orleans is the better team in this scenario. Um, I, I just, out of all that, three? Out out of all th- I mean, look, let, let's just say what the Falcons are. They're just an inconsistent team that they're going to terrify everybody in the playoffs. But at this point, it's hard to say you have faith in them winning out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the Saints with that offensive dynamic duo running back with an improved defense, I mean, Jesus, Ryan, how good does Marshawn Lattimore look at the corner for that team? Oh, wow. And hey, that kid's a rookie, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he, he's ridiculous, and I, I think if he stays healthy, you put him on the best receiver, he's going to lock you down. So, I mean, that, that's definitely a great weapon going into the playoffs uh, with some good number one receivers that they have to face. But honestly, Cam Newton looks like he's back, and I wouldn't say MVP back, but back to being a premier top top eight, top five maybe quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, well, he's, he's carving up good defenses, and he's mixing run pass again. We were waiting for it in the last couple of weeks. Beat the Vikings, beat the Packers with Rodgers. Looks like he's back. He is. You know, uh, when we talked around Thanksgiving, I said that the Panthers looked like the worst 8-14 and 14 that I had seen. And I got to retract that because they're, they're looking like the old Panther uh, teams of old. And uh, this team just continues to play well. That's a team I don't think anybody wants to play either. 
No, McCaffrey's looking good. Stewart's giving him something. They're they're mixing it up again with you know Funches as their only real weapon, and the defense is back to playing Panther football. That win against yeah. the Vikings really turned their season around, and, and in mm-hmm. a way saved it. If they lost that game, they would have been at the bottom of the NFC playoff barrel, having to fight to get in. Uh, and then you have the Atlanta Seattle battle, and I'll say this: I actually think Seattle is going to pass Atlanta. I know I've been high on Atlanta all season, but I think Carolina has something to play for. And I think Seattle will beat the Cardinals, and I think the Falcons will miss the playoffs. Well, I mean, I mean, and Seattle. Let's just be honest. Seattle has the easier game too. Mm-hmm. It'll be much easier to, to Bruce play. Arians' final game as coach. Yeah, fine. yeah, exactly. And you're playing at home. Uh, I don't think that's such a bad game. But yeah, Carolina, Atlanta. If Atlanta wins that game, look out because if they keep, if they if they can squeeze out that game nobody really is one going to play them in the playoffs but i would pick carolina to win that game too i just think atlanta looks too uh inconsistent at the moment and if if i'm making my playoff seeds what i think is going to happen i do think these saints are going to beat the bucks they'll move into that three seed you'll have rams panthers first round and saints seahawks be pretty good football that would be good football. Or even Saints-Falcons again, round three. I mean, there you could have that. You could have the Panthers move up to the three seed and go with Panthers, Seahawks, and Rams-Saints in the first round. So, yeah. hey, that, that's the biggest thing, too, with why I think the, the, the Eagles and even the Vikings could be in trouble because you have teams that are going to be hot with playing offense coming in. They're going to have to win a very tough game to get to you if they're healthy. Look out. And the Vikings very well could never leave their new home. It's very it possible. Perfect. I mean, and this would be the first time in history uh, that a team hosted their own Super Bowl. So, and I think, and, and they know it too, and they know it. So, I, I think they're trying to get that. Yeah, you like the the Saints to hang on to the division, though. I do like the Saints to hang on to the division. I think constructed, I, they're probably the most complete team. I think Carolina has the higher ceiling, but I think. Uh, the Saints are probably the most complete team because who who would have thought uh, at the beginning of the year getting rid of Adrian Peterson and just going with Ingram and Kamara would just turn that into a powerhouse. No one ever saw that coming. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, we're excited. One more week of the season, and then it's time for the playoffs. It should be a barn burner indeed. Ryan Souls, thanks for joining the show. Fit me into your holiday week schedule. I need something to get through an 0-16 season for the Browns. Man, I hear you. I'm feeling it there with you, man. I'm sorry you had to deal with this once again. But hey, you got the number one and the number five, pick, number four pick oh, next. They might take that punter out of Texas. Who knows? Oh, know. yeah. <laughs> it's good. That'd be something they would do. How yeah. uh, does Hugh Jackson have job security? That's my goal in 2018 to get that Hugh Jackson type job security. Oh, I t- I'm telling Jason Garrett too. Yeah, both those guys. But all right, That's- Ryan Souls. Happy holidays. Appreciate you. Happy holidays. Yeah, this will be the last time in 2017, I imagine. So happy new year to you. For sure. Happy new year. And you'll be on again soon. Talk NFL playoffs. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Of course. That's it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Big thanks to both guests, Bradford Bruns and Ryan Souls. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats, Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to every single episode. In 2017, it was a very, very good year for the show, for the podcast. Thanks again for everybody out there for making this show what it is. You can find every episode on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. Leave a rating, a review, subscribe, and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. There'll be more and more episodes, guests, recaps on 
the Money Mitch Effect in 2018. So keep up with us. We promise not to let you down. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2018 on the Money Mitch Effect. <laughs>